This is a Lip Media Podcast. Content discussed on this podcast may be triggering for some individuals. So if you feel like today you can't quite handle it, that's totally fine. You can press pause and come back another day. Remember, we're always going to be here. And if you need immediate help, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Welcome to If You Don't Mind, I'm your host Madeline Sherrington. As per usual, I've just had half a block of chocolate and I am very, very excited to be here. Um, Welcome to a new episode. Uh, This is actually the halfway mark for season two, which is freaking amazing. I don't know how I've got here. I still wonder every day, is this the day that I'm just going to completely ruin this thing that I've got going but it just continues and it's amazing and people are loving it which is really really great to hear. So for today's episode I got to interview the lovely and hilarious Tim. Um, Tim is someone I enjoyed speaking to immensely just because of how honest and I don't know like just very sincere he is I think is the best way to explain it. I think Tim just has this, yeah, this immense sincerity and honesty, which I really, really liked. And I think it really shows in this episode. Um, So the first thing we spoke about um, was Tim's experience with coming out as as a bisexual man. So for him, it was very difficult to do so just because of judgment from um, friends and and ex-partners and and, you know, those feelings really stopped him from coming out and being honest about his sexuality for a long time. He just did a great job of honestly and really openly talking about that journey and, you know, where he's come to today and that is being able to say proudly that he's a bisexual man. Um, And secondly, we also talk about Tim's experiences with anxiety and depression and how, especially in the last two years, those really came to a head and um, how he sought help and how beneficial that's been for him. Um, in terms of a trigger warning, we do talk about uh, uh, depression, uh, anxiety, suicidal ideation, um, and and we do obviously talk about not being accepted for um, who you really are. So if that's something you're not really comfortable with uh, listening to today, that's fine. Come back when you're ready. We're always here. I, I don't think the podcast will ever leave. It's just in the the internet forever now that's how things work right uh so this is tim i hope you really enjoy it i'll chat to you after well welcome tim to the show thank you so much for joining me thank you very Um, much for having me no it's it's a pleasure uh as usual i start i like to start the show by just kind of asking you what you do for a living um, what your hobbies are, hobbies are, like what you kind of just do every day to day. Um, so yeah, if you could give us a little bit of a spiel as to who you are, that would be amazing. Well, I hope not because it's very exciting. Uh, by day, I sell advertising, which is obviously very riveting and nothing like Mad Men. 
which is good, I think, mostly, given some of the bad things that happened in that show. Yeah, all the sex. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a, you know, just the fun boys stuff, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> none of that, none of that shenanigans. Uh, <laughs> uh, and for fun things that I do outside of my very fun advertising job, I also tend to ride bikes, uh, push bikes, in fact, which endears me to the wonderful people of Sydney who like to drive on the road and uh, very much toot their horns at me. Mate, I can't, a day. I can't think of, no offence to you, I can't think of anything more terrifying than driving on the road. I mean, sorry, riding my bike on the road. Like I am one of those assholes that will ride my bike on the footpath because I'm terrified of getting hit by a car. Well, I guess like the good, I don't know if there is any good news. Like if you can learn in Sydney, I guess you can learn anywhere. Like, you know, like there's nothing like being abused first thing in the morning. Are people really mean? Oh, yeah, so good. But they're always, like, the worst insults, too. Like, I, I would be fine being insulted more regularly on the road if they were yeah. better. They're just <laughs> very trash. Like, they're normally just, like, tell me to fuck off or pay Rojo or something. And it's just, like, so unoriginal. You know, like, pinpoint something that's, like, my deepest, darkest fear and yell out at me. I think that would – I'd probably stop riding my bike, to be honest, but they haven't uncovered anything yet. Uh, well, I mean, I personally don't like to be told to fuck off, but if it's not inventive enough for you, I'm sure people can take that challenge on. Yeah, um, I mean, the key takeaway is yeah, get more creative with your insults to yeah. people riding their bikes, uh, and it'll be perfect. They'll stop riding, and you can have the road back. Exactly. I can hear your cat in the background now. He sounds cute. Yeah, he is very cute. It's, I think it's still dinner time. I don't think he's been fed. Well, so okay. uh, we may be graced with his presence some more, which would be good. Well, I like to kind of now and then have a little bit of an animal, um, you know, aesthetic in the background. It really kind of adds to the the podcast, I think. I, now and then we have dogs barking, but I haven't had a cat meowing yet. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know if it's a good way to start because I definitely don't want to be seen as like that cat guy. <laughs> I don't know. There's, you know, there's a lot of negative connotations already uh, starting in a real negative place. So. Anyway, if everyone wants to know, I grew up with dogs, okay? I just happen to have a cat right now. All right. It's sorry. Not my, it's, not, it's not my fault, right? Whatever. Yeah, it's people get very weird about it. Like, just so you know, I like dogs too. I'm not just this cat person. But I feel yeah. like, you know what? It's Cat people aren't that bad. We just kind of make them seem weird and strange and obsessive. They're just, they're just like... They're just like dog owners. I mean, dog owners can be pretty intense too. So there's like everybody just needs to chill out. I think with the whole pet owning thing. I mean, I love my dog very much, um, but you know, there's there's a limit to it. I think very much so. I mean, like it'd be ludicrous to think that we've tried to walk him before in public. Of course, we haven't. Does it work? <laughs> if we did try, of course not. Or whatever. We're moving on. Exactly. Um, well, I mean, we could talk about pets all day. Perfectly, uh, to be perfectly honest, but we do have a job to do, and that is to get you to tell your amazing story and, and to inspire as many people out there with your story. So I guess I kind of just wanted to start off with the fact that at a very young age, you actually moved around a whole lot, which I think is pretty interesting. I mean, most of us just kind of live in the one place for the most of our you know childhood and, and growing up. So I guess, I guess I want to know what that was like and where you moved to and how that impacted on you. Yeah, it, it was actually kind of interesting. So uh, I grew up on the Central Coast, which some people, anyone who lives in Sydney has always lived in Sydney. I'm sure you recoiled a little bit there. But anyway, we're fine. We're fine. <laughs> uh, 
And then one day my dad got a job over in Switzerland and basically announced to the family that we would be moving over there quite quickly. Wow. Uh, it was pretty interesting. Like I, I was 12 at the time. It was obviously pretty exciting. Like it wasn't like it was never really that popular at school, like at least at that school anyway. I was like, cool, moving to a fresh country, fresh start, yeehaw. Uh, <laughs> You'll be a cool Australian boy. Everybody will love exactly exactly oh that's what i was hoping for anyway like if the movies that would be believed everyone would ask me lots of fun questions all the time but it didn't really happen that way so much but uh anyway yeah packed up moved over uh moved to geneva which is a really interesting place i i don't know i, I don't think this is a, a very good way to describe it but maybe it is as well but like there's no there's not as dominant cultures in the school there just because like the un was there so there was like kind of like a lot of diplomat kids, which meant that it was like a very like interesting representation of people, mm. which made it very interesting to like grow up. So I had to try and learn French, which yeah, I'm very bad at languages. I found out. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it was, it was quite the nightmare for my French teacher. Uh, it was not good. It was not good. Uh, I really regret being such a little shit. Uh, <laughs> however, <laughs> things were pretty good there. Things were pretty good. Like it's obviously a pretty idyllic place. Uh, we lived up in a house. It overlooks the lake. It sounds much more fancy than it is because, like, every house overlooks the lake because they're oh, on a hill. Beautiful. Uh, but it was very nice, very nice. So we would do lots of outdoor stuff, go skiing. Uh, I would mooch off a lot of the kids at school because they were infinitely more rich than our family was. Not to say, like, we were bad off, but it was uh, it was a good experience mooching off others and their parents' success, <laughs> <laughs> which is good. Anyway, interestingly enough, uh, like the first time, but even more sudden, uh, my dad came home one evening and said, so next week you're not going to school. We're actually flying to Japan and we're going to find a house there to live, uh, which was quite interesting and uh, a little bit unexpected because at that point I had my first love, which was obviously very exciting for me. Wow. Uh, you know, growing up, first love goodness me it was it was mad it was crazy times uh and then yeah it was all getting cut short because i was about to move i don't know some stupid number of thousand kilometers away that's, uh, which was, that's nuts yeah i was not happy let's be honest here i was a moody angsty 16 year old who was very upset with the situation <laughs> i would be too i mean like just the lack of like kind of uh, what's the word like you know, just being out of nowhere being told that you're moving to a completely different country in a week's time would piss anyone off, really, especially a teenager. But that would yeah, have been I was... stressful. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't the best thing. Like, I, it wasn't the best thing. Yeah, I didn't – God, my cat is still – he's going nuts. <laughs> he really wants to be on this podcast, I can tell. <laughs> anyway, he better, he better go away. Uh, but, yeah, no, it was, it was pretty tough, I think. And, like, we flew over, we found a house. Uh, we were moving mid-school year, which made it probably a little bit more challenging too. And then, yeah, like after finding a house that, that next week, we were pretty much all packed up in a couple of weeks after that and on our merry, merry way, which was, yeah, which was pretty tough. Like moving mid-year into a new school, into a new country, in a new culture was, yeah, it was very interesting. Mm. Uh, and I was very grumpy at that point. Uh very uh, resentful that I had to leave my idyllic life to live in the middle of the Sydney, oh, mid middle of a city that I didn't really love so much. Mm. Uh, I don't know. It was it was interesting. I think for me that was probably the the first point that 
mental health started to pop up as something that might exist, but I generally tend to try to ignore it at that point, which was good. But yeah, lived in Japan for a couple of years and then finally flew home to, to Sydney. So I uh, upgraded from the Central Coast to Sydney, which was very exciting. Yeah. Where I am today. Wow. Okay. And so like, when you were living in Japan, um, obviously it's a completely different culture and I mean, obviously Switzerland is different to Australia, but potentially there are more similarities there than there is Australia and Japan. Like, did you feel a sense of isolation? Did you, were you able to talk to your family about feeling like down and, and potentially depressed or was that just something that you just couldn't discuss with anyone? Well, I think so. Yeah, I did. I didn't really have a lot of friends when I first moved. So I went to a school that was, uh, it was, it was like interesting. I didn't really fit in so much there. It was, I went to an American school, mm. uh, and it was very much like the movies. It was weird, but really? there was like the jocks and the cheerleaders and like the other athletes and then the theater geeks. And then like, I was just kind of out there, I don't know, by myself, just being like, Oh, I don't really know much about any of these things. And I not from America and I don't quite understand all these cultural references. Uh, so it was kind of, I didn't really fit in so much at school initially. Like I, afterwards I made friends and I was probably like a moody little shit looking back anyway. Like I didn't want to be there and, mm. you know, I wasn't going to make friends easily. Uh, I was just going to be grumpy about the situation I found myself in, but I didn't really talk about being sad or upset to anyone. I think it was just easier to like go on the internet and just like mope around like, Hmm. I'm sure some people know 4chan. Anyway, 4chan is an absolute dumpster fire. I didn't wow. spend a lot of time on 4chan just being like, what are these like weird people talking about? It was not good. It was no bueno. 4chan, yeah. I had some friends <laughs> found some weird shit on there. Oh, yeah. Weird. It's like the absolute dregs of the internet, uh, <laughs> which was not good. So I, I just tended, tended to like ignore it. And it kept like progressively getting worse and worse. And I think that was the, the first time, like I began writing down my feelings and they were pretty dark. Mm. Uh, and it more or less ended with me like standing on a bridge, like trying to figure out how to like jump over and kill myself, which is not great as like a 17 year old. Like, No, uh, definitely not. Did mm. you talk to your parents or anyone about it? No, nah, I just had a little cry on the bridge and then walked home. And I think cried myself to sleep. God, it sounds so miserable. I mean, it was pretty miserable, obviously, but. Well, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you, you're in a completely different, like, you know, location without the support of like a friendship group, which is what we need when we're young. Like that would have been so hard to deal with. Yeah. It was, I mean, it wasn't great. Like, I, I think, like, I don't know, things sort of came to an end afterwards, like where we, like we found out we were moving home, which was pretty mm. exciting. And it was sort of like a bit of like a, I guess it's like a bit of a bookend. Close that chapter of being sad and stuff and then like moved out of Japan and came back to Australia and things are actually like pretty okay. Mm. Uh, like I didn't, there's obviously not really, it was like a bit of culture shock coming back because I hadn't been in Australia for like, I don't know, six, seven years. But then afterwards we, yeah, sort of, I went to university, started making friends, which was really good. Uh, and, you know, things actually went pretty well for a while and like things were you know, going pretty swimmingly, you know, mm. I was having fun at uni, I was meeting new people. Uh, and it was like, it was actually pretty good. Like it sort of felt like, you know, the ship had righted itself and, you know, like this whole being sad and like wanting to kill myself thing was kind of just like a, a one-off thing that I didn't really have to think about anymore. And like, 
probably everyone went through anyway. It's kind of how I was thinking at the time. Definitely. I don't know if that's rude. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think a lot of, I think a lot of the time also you think, oh, this is just me being angsty. Like I, I think it's very hard to tell the difference between like teenage angst and those feelings of depression and anxiety because they, they feel very similar and they feel very, you feel them very intensely. But I guess if you find yourself out of, uh, you know, adolescence and you're still experiencing those things, that's when you realize potentially it's not just angst <laughs> going on that I have to deal with, which I have a feeling is part of your story. Um, and so I guess what I'd be really interested to hear about was or is when you come back to Sydney and you started kind of experiencing panic attacks. So what was, do you, do you remember like how they started? That's a really good question. I was like, I was thinking about this when I started like seeing a psychologist, like not that, like a while ago. Mm. I can't actually like pinpoint the moment that it started. I, like I remember feeling like at one point at university, I was like so sure of myself. I was like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. My life is so sorted. Mm. Everything makes sense. Like not a care in the world. Uh, and like, I, I can't remember sort of the exact moment that it started to fall apart, but I remember like feeling a bit of anxiety, you know, like always wanting to do well. Mm. I remember like some of the first panic attacks were just like the most intense things I'd ever felt. Like I remember like one time I was driving a car and I got a panic attack and I just had to like stop because I thought it was going to like crash and like I couldn't breathe and you know, like my world was shutting down. Like I'm sure like anyone who's had a panic attack like knows exactly what I mean, but like it's yeah. pretty like rubbish. It's terrifying like, not... <laughs> at first. Because you're like, well, I'm dying. Yeah, like, is, is my poor little heart giving up already at the age of 20? Yeah. Um, no, yeah, so has it, my beer drinking caught up? No, it hadn't <laughs> at that point, it seemed. Uh, but I remember, like, I just kind of, like, ignoring it. And then I think I found, like, a bit of exercise help. And I was like, cool, like, this is easy to fix. Like, just do a bit of exercise. Done. Uh, yeah. God, what are all these losers complaining about when they talk about panic attacks? Just do some exercise. Uh, <laughs> Turns out that was a band-aid solution. And, like, I still got panic attacks regularly enough or, like, not, like, full-on attacks, but just, like, a lot of anxiety. And it wasn't great. Mm. And I was, like, I was seeing someone at the time. And then I think, like, things, like, that's when things started to get a bit more, like, unsure for me. Mm. Like, I was less certain about, say, like, my sexuality. Like, I'd sort of grown up being, like, straight guys is the best guys. But then I was, like, wait, what if I'm not straight? Does that make me a bad person? Anyway, that's a whole little... uh fun little curveball that I that sort of got thrown in I guess but wow I was pretty like just unsure of things and I felt like I didn't yeah. really know my direction in in the world and like I'd done like fine at uni which I like it I sort of like set a goal and I, I hit it but that like wasn't really enough and like I remember leaving uni and being like oh I don't really have a job I don't really know what to do like I'm just going to take some time off and think about it and like that was good taking time off but I was still like kind of just in a bit of a weird holding pattern, I guess. Hmm. I think it's really easy to fill your, like if you, if you set yourself goals and you achieve them, you're like, okay, well, this is fine. Like I'm being an effective member of society. Like I'm getting stuff done. I'm doing the right thing. Therefore everything else should just fall into place. Um, but it never happens that way, especially when you're obviously dodging potentially a mental illness. Like it just has this, 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 
really amazing ability to like catch up with you and like tackle you and completely obliterate everything. Um, I find at least, and the more you, oh, yeah. it, the more it's like encapsulates everything. Um, so yeah, like it's just, yeah, it's, it's a narrative I hear a lot, especially, especially in a few men I've spoken to this whole idea of like, if I just keep trying to manage it with like, these practical solutions, it'll be fine. Is it is something I hear a lot? <laughs> yeah, it'll buff right out. I think, I, and I, I think that's sort of like that. Like, I don't know. You can only place like so many band aids on the other band aids before the band aid tower falls over. Mm. Uh, but that's such a weird analogy. I don't know. No, but actually, I mean, <laughs> then like it was really, really visual, and I liked it. It's so very... Everyone's thinking of band aid towers now. Yeah. Even if they weren't, uh, but yeah, like it, it just sort of like kept kept sort of like it was bubbling away sort of low and low and steady and then my the person I was seeing at that time we broke up Mm. like it's pretty amicable actually like we were living in a house together of like friends and like things were pretty good but then yeah we just sort of like went our own ways and that was fine Mm. but and then I was like oh cool like I'm sort of like out here on my own now like it's a bit of an opportunity to explore things and, like, I started to, like, explore my sexuality a bit more and, like, try to figure out, like, who I was. And, like, I can, like, totally acknowledge it now that I'm not straight, like, I'm bi. Mm. And, like, I'm comfortable with that now. But, like, at the time, I was like, what does this mean? What have I done? Like, do I bring great shame upon my family? Who knows? Oh, my God. Uh, I that. I <laughs> just, yeah, it's so confusing. And especially, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if it's harder for, for men or women. I'm not sure. But, like, it's just... It's it's very terrifying when you're trying to figure that out, and you're worried that if you if you are honest with yourself and honest with people, that they might not like like the the truth that you're going to tell them. It's very scary. Yeah, and I think like I was like, the, and it's not like a nice like definition or like you know a test that you can do. Be like, we've actually tested your blood, and it turns out you're this or that, right? Yeah, it's, it's really like you're very oh, high fun. in the bisexual rating. Um, so yeah. that's what we're going to give you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just like fumbling around in the dark trying to find this stuff it's a it's a bit weird but I remember being like oh okay like maybe I feel a little bit okay about this and then I remember like going to a music festival and like my my ex found out and she's like I can't believe you would do this everyone thinks I'm like turned you gay uh. and like it's such like a weird like offhand comment but like I think that like it played up much bigger in my mind of just like oh like it's probably not a good thing that I'm like this and I probably shouldn't tell people. Uh, so that was good. That was really no, good not so to tell lovely. people. I mean, like, I hate that it's, I mean, obviously that was a few years ago, but I hate that we've come so far in terms of, like, being open and accepting and there's obviously still so much rampant homophobia within our society that is, like, this whole idea that if a woman dates you and then you decide that you would also like to date men, she like she made you that way. Like that's just so fucking. Ri- it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I mean, it, I mean, it's a little, like quite ridiculous. I mean, like there was nothing about her that made it like made men more attractive. Like I don't think. <laughs> I mean, that sounds so weird, but like yeah, nothing like it just doesn't play out that way. But no, I remember just feeling like really terrified. Oh yeah, like it was. It was not. It was definitely not good. Like it wasn't like a healthy situation. We probably shouldn't have like seen each other like after breaking up. But those are sort of the circumstances. But yeah, I remember just being like terrified of it. It's just like this is bad. Mm. I shouldn't tell anyone. Like, I, I think I had like a real fear of like telling my mates that were guys. 
Hmm. So just be like, oh, that Tim guy is pretty like fucked up. Hey, like what's wrong with him? And like, I actually felt like way more comfortable telling like a few friends that were girls. I don't know why. Like they're just like more accepting. They're just like, hmm. oh, cool. Whatever. It is what it is. Like it is. And I remember like telling a few of them. I was like, wow, this actually feels good telling people. Cause like I can't tell anyone else just in case. So I was like, I'm still pretty worried about that. And then yeah, I was li- like living by myself. Anxiety was like starting to get worse and worse. And like, I was, you know, doing more and more exercise. Uh, and in like some ways that was kind of like a really good habit to get into. So like I yeah, ride my bike, like I mentioned, but like I'll normally, I say normally it makes me sound like a real saint. I normally try to get up somewhere between like five and five thirty to go for a ride. Wow. And it's like, god awful because it's always cold and i'd rather sleep but like it like sets my day up to be better and like that was sort of the thing that like kept me going because it meant that i'd like start the day a bit more positive a bit more clear thinking and like life was pretty rosy mm. uh and i guess for, like a couple of years it sort of just tracked on that way you know those like i like didn't really date anyone i was just like seeing people around and yeah doing stuff like that and it's just like you know like exploring the world and it was like pretty fun, but like I said, I like missed a bit of like personal connection. I think like what I sort of came out of like that was not like openly accepting who I was, but just more like if I find someone with a great personality, I find someone with a great personality. Yes. And that's a good thing. Uh, and that's kind of liberating too, right? Like it doesn't, you're like not really, if you meet a nice person, you just meet a nice person. It's cool. I know. That sounds um, great. That's, that's such a good <laughs> realization to come to. And also like super freeing. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was pretty like, it was definitely pretty nifty. Uh, and then I remember I, yeah, did the old swipe right, swipe left, but actually swiped right on my now, my now wife, which is pretty nuts. Lovely. Uh, we went for breakfast. I turned up with footy shorts and no shoes. She accepted me for who I was. (laughs) (laughs) God, I was such a slob. Wow. This is a big gamble. Oh yeah. I was just like, I think at that point it's just like, look, we're doing breakfast. I really don't care. I just got up. Like... I don't know. She likes my personality. I guess that's good. Yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, anyway, it was a bold move. Uh, I'm glad that it paid off. Uh, she said if I'd asked her to drink, she would have said no because she was not into that. And the idea of breakfast was very interesting because who doesn't like breakfast? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so that worked out well. And I think it was like, she was like an incredible, like, I think part of the reason that I accepted, or not that like I accepted more of who I was, but like I became more comfortable with who I was because like she was accepting, right? Like I never... I remember like the fear of like telling her that like, this is kind of like who I am. I hadn't told her yet. And she's like, oh, okay, cool. Done. Right. Like it wasn't like, oh my God, like God forbid. Like it was, it was Dang, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, okay, cool. Like that's fine. And I think that like, that took like a really big like weight off my shoulders, but it also, I think like sort of set up like a secondary problem as well. It's like within like sort of like the, the broader community, like by guys are kind of not, they don't really have like a real, like by people probably is like better, but like they don't really have like a really firm place in, in sort of society and like even less so because like people are like, Oh, like you just like haven't decided who you like yet. I think it's really interesting how you have to prove your, like as soon as you pick someone, it's like, okay, well that's the, per- that you were always into that gender then. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you, okay, you've married a woman, you're, you're a straight guy and you just look confused. Like, why do you have to kind of, it's not like you have to, I feel like people want you to show your sexual receipts. Like, you know, these, I've slept with this many men and this many women and this categorizes me as bisexual. Thank you very much. I'm going to leave now. Thanks. 
Um, yeah, ridiculous. It's so weird. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And I really like. I really hated that as well because like I didn't. I didn't really feel like that accepted, and I didn't really like have any entry into the community either. Like mm. I didn't like. Didn't really know who to talk to. I didn't know anyone that was bi. Like I don't. I think like trying to find like bi guys is kind of like trying to find hen's teeth. To be honest, like yeah. But uh, not openly out there, at least not that I found. I think like we've gotten better about it now, which is really good. But like it does, yeah, it's really terrifying in the beginning. Like this doesn't make doesn't make it easy, which is like also kind of tough. And I think that was something that sort of like set up the secondary problem, right? It's like now I'm dating this person that like I genuinely love, who is like really wonderful, super supportive, like is there for me. But then if I, like, talk to other people about being bi, they're like, well, that doesn't really make any sense because, like, I don't know, as of now, right? Like, you got married to this person, so, like, mm. really just straight and, like, this doesn't really make sense. I think that was, like, that was, like, an interesting sort of, like, secondary kind of setup. But, like, it's, it's been good that I obviously have a partner that is so loving and thoughtful and, like, there for me. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Have you been able to kind of be open with your friends and family about it or are you still a little bit more kind of reluctant to do that. Yeah, I guess it's been kind of interesting. Like I, I work in a place now where there's like lots of like support groups, which is nice. Mm. Uh, and I actually joined like a group at work and like, I've like made friends with like a lot of people and like actually like been far more of like an active participant in like the queer community. Mm. And it's been like, nice, like going to Mardi Gras and like, you know, having fun and, you know, like supporting different charities or like talking at events and stuff like that. So it's been nice to like do that. So I think most of my friends now, like I don't know if I generally bring it up often, mm. but like if it comes up in conversation, like I'm uncomfortable with it from like a family side perspective, like not really. Cause like, mm-hmm. I don't, there's not really anyone that's queer in my family or like my broader family. Uh, and I don't really know if it's like swimming against the current. It's like a fight that I just don't really want to, not like a fight that I don't want to deal with, but just like something that's like, is it more of a headache than it's worth? Yeah, I get, <laughs> I get that. Like bringing it up with them, is it just going to, is it going to raise more questions than offer you solutions or like, is it worth it? You know? Yeah. And it's like, I, I, it's like, it, it is what it is. Like, I feel like generally now, like I've got like a pretty like good weight off my shoulder and like, actually like the last Mardi Gras was like super fun. I had like, I was just like being me. I was like out there and like the most ridiculous, re- ridiculous outfit god it was so good though uh, <laughs> i'm so happy that's so cool yeah i think that like that's kind of like the dream is like no one should feel like worried about being who they are and it's taken me like yeah i don't i don't know how old am i now 28 uh but like it's taken me like this long to like figure it out and like you know people are just like oh like i think it's like amazing when people just know and like they're confident with who they are and like from an early age like they're really good with it like for me that wasn't like my story it like took a really long time and it was like so a lot of ups and actually there wasn't a lot of ups there's a few ups and there's like quite a lot of downs uh which made it pretty tough but yeah i think it'd be like nice in the future where just like it doesn't matter you just are what you are and if you want to see that person great if you don't want to see that person cool 100 percent. i want i want us all to be confident like those teenagers on tiktok who are like, yeah, what, who are those people? I don't know. Yeah. They're just like dancing and they're like, this is my sexuality. This is what I do. These are things that I like. <laughs> oh my God, you're telling everybody this is fucking sick. Good for you. Yeah, it's true. It's true. 
Teenage uh, TikTok confidence is what I want. Um, well, <laughs> that's, <laughs> um, I guess I don't want to run out of time because it's already 35 minutes in. Oh, my God, we could speak forever. Um, could. It's true. I guess I would like to focus on what the last two years of, um, has, have been like for you because I know you obviously mentioned previously to me that you've had um, kind of a resurgence in, in, in symptoms and, and, and particular, um, you know, in specifically regarding depression. So I guess I would really like to know what that's been like and how you've kind of um, sought treatment and, um, you know, tried to figure out the best way moving forward with that. Yeah, it's been, it's been a pretty wild ride, actually. Like, I guess step one is guys don't have feelings. Step two, be happy. Uh, yeah. So it's pretty simple, actually, uh, which is good. <laughs> Uh, but actually like, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty fucked up if I'm honest. Like, mm -hmm. I guess like it felt, I was, it's sort of like a really vicious cycle. So I found that like my anxiety levels were just getting higher and higher and higher. And then like, I was like, cool, I'll overcompensate by doing more exercise. Mm -hmm. But that runway ended. Uh, and I found that I just could like, I was just going to work and like, I had to overcorrect for everything. So if I thought that I did anything wrong, I was like, no, 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 like I'll fix it. I'll fix it. Like I need to control for everything. So, yeah. you know, the world can't fall apart. And that just kept, I kept getting further in that rabbit hole and further and further until a point where it was definitely just not, not like from the outside looking in, I don't think anyone really knew, like my partner knew that something was up. Mm. Like I was definitely a bit off and she'd ask me if I was okay. And I'd be like, yeah, of course I'm okay. I've uh, just had a bad day or something, mm. but it kept getting like, it kept getting worse to the point where I was just like getting like panic attacks at work. And like, it was just, it was just a shit show really. And like, mm. I think for like, lots of people, it's kind of, I think it was like, I felt like I was kind of like complaining. Cause like, you know, like I've got a wonderful partner. We got married. Like I'm doing, as always it feels weird saying like I'm doing good at work, but like, you know, mm. like my career is going okay. Like it's, you know, things are like actually pretty good from like a structural perspective. It just felt like it's falling apart. And I guess like it got to a point where I don't really know. Like it, I just didn't realize how underwater I was. And I remember like, I remember thinking I was crazy. Like I just couldn't think properly. Like everything was just kind of like dizzyingly like fucked up. And then I remember just like starting to like feel like I couldn't escape. Like that was it. And it started getting like, I started feeling like pretty, I think sort of the anxiety just sort of built into a, a place of depression. Mm. Like, I don't know if like that's everyone's experience, but like that was definitely mine. And then I just started feeling down and I'd, I'd start to hide it a lot more. So I wouldn't tell my partner and like in the morning, uh, you know, we'd get ready for work and stuff and I'd try to be like chipper and cheerful and stuff, even though I knew it was like pretty hard to do that. Cause that's not how I felt. Yeah. And then she'd like leave for work and then I'd just like be like, Oh fuck. Like, what do I do? <laughs> this sucks. And like the worst thing about that was like the best I was going to feel all day. Like I knew I was, it was not going to get better. Mm. And I'd just go through the day. And when people would talk to me at work, they'd ask me like how things are. I'd be like, yeah, it's great. Everything's so good. I think, like, everyone was like, cool, like, nothing wrong with him. He's fine. Mm. But, like, on the inside, I was just, like, falling apart, and I just had to keep taking breaks from work where, like, I'd go find a quiet corner just to, like, pull myself together and just try and work on things by myself. 
and then it just kept getting worse and worse and worse until like I felt yeah I just felt like I was going crazy I couldn't think straight my mind just felt like and I was just like full of mud like I just couldn't think clearly at all yeah and it's just like I don't know like it was at that point it was like my partner was like something's not right like we need to we need to try like you need to go see someone and I think like that's what for me like at that point was really terrifying is like no no like in one of the earlier podcasts someone talked about like are you okay day being kind of like a bit bullshit to them and I, I kind of subscribed to that because mm. for me it was not about like anyone asking me if I was okay because I wasn't going to tell them it. I felt like killing myself no I just didn't know what to do like I didn't even know what the immediate next step was to try and get better and at that point like I thought about killing myself like definitely more than once like at work there's actually like a bal- like a, not a balcony but like railings Mm. I remember just like standing there, like holding the railings, being like, "Hey, I could just like end this right now." Mm. And obviously, that's like pretty grim. And like, like I knew that part of the reason I didn't do it at that time was because like I knew I'd cause like a lot of upset to my partner. Yeah. But eventually, it sort of like ended with me just going to a doctor, who was actually like I think the person that helped the most, and she was like super thoughtful, super compassionate, like just like kind of like no bullshit. She wasn't like, "Oh, there, there, it will get better." She's like cool, it doesn't sound good. Like, it sounds like it's pretty tough. Mm. Here are some things that we can do. You can see a psychologist, but if you think it's really bad right now, we can look at antidepressants. Uh, don't worry, they're not that scary. Uh, but take some time to think about it. But, you know, you need, like, we need to do something. Mm. And I remember, like, hearing about antidepressants. Mm. I was like, holy shit, like, am I that crazy? Like, again, that's awful, like, internal language. Yeah. But, like, I'd never really thought of, like, myself as having to you know need something like that yeah like the idea of being medicated is a very scary stigmatized thing yeah and like when you tell people you're on antidepressants like now i don't really give a shit but like if you tell people it's like oh okay Mm. (laughs) (laughs) you know like what's what's uh what's wrong with you but yeah i remember her telling me about it and she was just really no nonsense she's like look these are some of the side effects that you'll have this is what we think it could do. I like, we've done all this blood work. We, we think it's this, uh, and this is why we think it will help. If you want to do it, fantastic. Like I support you. If you want to take the, like seeing a psychologist for a bit, uh, I'll support you doing that too. So just, just let me know what you need to do to get better. And I think like she was the one who was just like, so helpful. Um, and I remember starting antidepressants in like the first week again, like everyone has like different experiences. I think reacts differently to it, but I was like, I don't know. I guess I felt like that movie Limitless, like my mind cleared. And I was like, holy shit. I'm yeah. happy. I like, my mind is clear. Like I'm like superhuman. And it was like for the first week that was true because uh, I had serotonin returning to my body for the first time <laughs> <laughs> in some, some amount of uh, time. I don't know how long. Uh, and then it started to like, obviously there was like, it had to settle down and it took a bit of time. And like, I felt really sick when I take them in the morning. Like that's a cool side effect that I had. Yeah, it's gross. Uh, yeah, it's so shit. Uh, yeah, feeling like you're going to spew first thing in the morning sucks. Uh, <laughs> but I remember it, like, starting to make a bit of a difference and, like, make things better. And then it was maybe only, like, three, four weeks in it, which is, like, kind of the point where it starts to settle down. And I was still, like, pretty delicate. Like, I told my boss at work that I was kind of, like, in a pretty bad place. Mm. Um, I'd still gone through some, like, suicidal feelings a lot. And, like, 
I know it's really dangerous. Like I don't, I didn't know who to reach out to. I didn't know, I didn't want to tell anyone that I felt like killing myself. Like mm. I can say it now and I can sort of jest about it because I don't feel like killing myself right now. But like when you do, you just like feel like this overwhelming sense of guilt. Like even mm. with my partner, she's like been incredibly, obviously incredibly caring and like, and so I don't want to say like had to put up with it, but that's how it felt to me at the time. Like yeah. I was a burden on her. And that was really tough because I was like, you know, like I, I can't tell her because like it will just make it, her feel worse. Hmm. Um, but I remember going to see a psychologist for the first time because like people like this is a good thing to do. And holy shit, she was terrible. I don't um, know. They're not always. I know this is, and this is something that like I think I, I t- kind of didn't expect as well. Like, and she like she sort of went through some stuff, and I was like, oh okay, cool. Like there was nothing tangible out of the first meeting other than her recommending this like book about big pharma making people take antidepressants and I was like hmm. I think I'm I th- like I kind of don't need and she like made an offhand comment a well it's like oh you got on the antidepressants quick or something like that and I was like yeah fuck you mate yeah fuck off yeah <laughs> like <laughs> I was like gonna kill myself at work like and this is stopping me doing that I think like oh, yeah. it's probably a good spot <laughs> Yeah, I've had doctors tell me, oh, you should get off them. They don't really, like, have any benefit. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm still alive, so <laughs> I think they do. <laughs> even if, like, they don't and they're just making me feel better, even just, like... As a placebo, it, it doesn't yeah. matter. It's working. I'm cool with it. <laughs> yeah. I regularly said to my doctor, I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's a placebo effect, but it's working, so I don't know. Yeah, really cool. Little delicious happy pills every morning. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But like, and that was pretty shit to be honest. Like, I was just like, "Fuck that!" Like, well, I, yeah, you're putting your. I don't really need to hear that. Yeah, it's hard. Like to go to a stranger and be like, "This is all my shit. I'm I'm really struggling. I need you to help me." And for them to come out with some fucking backward, judgmental bullshit is not going to give you much faith in the system. No, it was pre- it was pretty like shit. I think. Like one thing that like I definitely have to recognize, which I think is like really fucked up in Australia, and like I think maybe makes people scared as well. Is like it's kind of expensive to be depressed as well. Sometimes mm. like seeing psychologists is can be expensive, and yeah. like I I can like recognize that I was like privileged enough to be able to like actually go and seek out help and be able to afford it and stuff. But like for people that can't, I think it's like so awful oh yeah Uh, definitely i mean obviously you've got the mental health plan which will give you six to ten sessions but that's obviously most of the time not enough to really deal with any form of you know psychological issue um Mm. if you want to see psychiatrists good luck to you it's not going to happen um bulk build so otherwise you've got like to fork out a considerable amount of money and you know, sometimes yeah. a good doctor, you have to pay for them. Like, I don't know. It's yeah. There's so many access issues when it comes to seeking treatment. And that's why, unfortunately, the the more money you have, the more likely you are to get, to have better health outcomes really. Um, yeah. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. Like it's, it's pretty, it's really awful, but it's made me like very conscious of that too. But I think that like, if nothing else, like my, what helped me was going to see my GP. Like mm. that was, that was the thing that I think sort of like saved me from that episode and helped pull me out. But like, it didn't like end there. Like it still took, you know, many months to try and sort of stabilize. And then I actually went and saw like another psychologist. Uh, and she was actually like really good. Like we, we, we spoke about some things. We spoke about some things that like make life easier and like, mm. I don't know, just 
sounds really like elementary, but like talking about my feelings is like a good thing to do. And like trying to stop depressive episodes before they get there is Mm. useful strategies for me. So like, it's been, it's been really good, but I think like, it's really terrifying. Like don't know what to do. And I don't know, like if anyone feels shit, like you should just go see a GP and like not feel terrified about like taking antidepressants because it could really help. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. I think you're right. This whole, like, um, just bringing it back to that whole, um, are you okay day again? Like in what, in what reality are we living in to think that if you say <laughs> that, that person on that day or eat just one day randomly, um, that person is going to just give you that information. Like I think what's more important is making sure that people know what services are available. The services are accessible in terms of that they can get to them and that they're financially um, able to use them. Um, and that they know that they have a support network around them. It's, it's so, it's so, I don't know, to me counterproductive to just put all our funding and to put all our eggs into this basket of just help asking someone if they're okay and hoping that that will somehow be a preventative measure when it comes to suicide and, and that kind of stuff. So it's very frustrating when you've been unwell and you see those campaigns because you're like, that doesn't work. That's not a thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's not like, I'm not saying it's, they're like bad programs because like I think like any sort of like recognition of mental health is important. But I think like what's missing for me is just like practical steps. Like that should be like the most blaringly obvious thing. Like if you're depressed, like – Two things: go and see your doctor, which should like you should be able to find like hopefully a bulk build one. Uh, but then also, secondly, is like reach out to your family and like that sucks. Mm. It's so awful, and it's like you really got to drag yourself kicking and screaming. But, like for me, the fear was like I'm being a burden on people, mm. and like my psychologist sort of challenged me on that. She's like, "Well, did they tell you that?" I was like, "No, but I know it." She's like, "Well, if they didn't tell you that, like they have their own support networks too, mm. and you need to like if someone." someone will tell you if it's too much for them and you need like to build a bigger community or network, whatever it is, but like don't internalize their needs as well. Like you can lean on people and that's okay. Yeah. And and I think like, that's something that I had to learn as well. It's like, yeah, just actually ask my partner if she's okay. A hundred percent. Like, I think that's what I realized is when I was giving, when I was basically leaning on my partner completely, it was very stressful for him. And then I had to kind of take a look back and be like, you know what? I need to talk to my family and my friends about this. It's just not him because that's a big burden to, to hold. So I think it's also, yeah, being aware of, you know, how much you are giving your partner and how much information you're unloading on them and then trying to kind of be as equitable as you can with that so that they're not feeling like bogged down in it because ultimately they will like it's very difficult when your partner is unwell i'm not going to pretend that it isn't but um if you can get as many people around you to kind of take the load off it's so helpful to everybody yeah exactly and i think like i don't you can be people are kind of like I, I think that's another thing i found too is like i started telling people that like i, I always use humor as a way to like get out of it be like <laughs> definitely think about killing myself Right. And like people were like, oh, that's a bit dark. And I was like, well, like I kind of felt like that. And they're like, oh, cool. Like, interesting. Yeah. Like interesting kind of approach. Or like I, I definitely joked about taking antidepressants like in the beginning as well. But then like so many people that I knew were like, oh, yeah, I, I took them and like they really helped. Yeah. Like I think that's the thing is like we don't actually talk about it as like a medication in like any kind of like non stigmatized way. 
Mm. And like the amount of, yeah, like just a number of friends that I have are like, yeah, it's fine. Like I'm on them now, or this is my experience. Like if you need anything, let me know. Mm. And that was something that I just like totally, I had like all my blinders on just to not see that. But then when I started opening up to people and just like, even if I let out just a little bit, people would be like, Hey, like, kind of like, I'm here for you. This is my experience. This is how I, if you need anything, let me know. And just like having friends check in regularly helped a lot too. A hundred percent. I think it's so important for men. I mean, we've men, men in Australia are very lucky these days in terms of the amount of, you know, charities and organizations and the awareness and the, fundraising that we have but I think it's still really important for you to talk about it because if you can have all the services and all the the funding there is um, but if men men aren't actually accessing them it's not working you know like I feel for the most part in Australia we've done really well at addressing stigma and now we need action in terms of funding policy change improving services but for men it's still so much to do with that conversation um, yeah. reducing the stigma because it's so internalized in this, in, in, in their, I guess, you know, their, their masculinity. And that is, you don't talk about these things. And I think we, we have to keep saying it over and over again. You can, it's like totally fine. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and it feels, I think it's the thing is like, I told a lot of guys that I was taking antidepressants and then they told me that they were taking antidepressants. Mm. Like we're part of like a secret club. We can't tell anyone, you know, like we're sworn to secrecy, but I think, it's also, I think that's, yeah, there's so many more people out there than you would think that are maybe on some, like maybe getting medicated for something that helps them yeah, or, you know, have been through an experience where it does that. Mm. And yeah, I think that the stigma is really like, yeah, like it's always like shying away from it. Like in the beginning, right? Like it was always like, oh, that's gay. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, you know, that's a great way to like, for me, like to internalize like that's bad. Mm. I shouldn't do that and like turn that into like a whole lot of like negative spaghetti soup uh <laughs> or you know like we're just I think just like being able to open up to like some close friends and and working on it is pretty important mm. I don't know, it helped me and I like it's not to say that it's done but like I'm trying to open up more and more each day and I think it's getting better I mean I haven't lost any friends yet I think everyone's been really supportive and not told me I'm a piece of shit just yet, which is good, which is good. good. <laughs> Please don't say friends with anyone who says that to you. That's terrible. Um, I'll, I'll try not to anyway. But, um, we are nearly out of time, Tim. So I guess before we finish up, I would love for you to kind of, um, uh, you know, plug any more advice that you would give potentially maybe a young man who's who's kind of like, figuring out their sexuality in the midst of also figuring out um, like their mental health and, and, and seeking treatment for that. So if there's anything in terms of like golden advice that you'd like to give, please give it. Oh, this is so much pressure. Uh, I think my like, at least for like the mental health perspective, is like see your GP. Yeah. Like, GPs generally are not evil people and like hopefully for everyone they're accessible and they're free if they're bulk build. So it's like the most important thing. Like they're like incredibly helpful, useful people. That didn't make much sense in English. Anyway, go see your GP. Uh, they're very handy. Uh, I think for like a sexuality thing, it was like what I found really the most important thing. This is like only in the last like 18 months is like, I don't know, just like Google anything on the internet, or like Google anything about, you know, like support groups, community groups, anything like that. Like it's terrifying to go see them, but like I went to Fair Day this year, which is mm. in Sydney for Mardi Gras. 
and like there was so many like lovely people there and like i joined like the bi community the bi community network i should really remember that anyway the community group like i get like their emails like every two weeks but it's like it's nice to feel part of something mm. and nice to be part of like a group where people are like oh yeah i had the same experience yeah how i felt i'm just like trying to connect with people that might be in a similar experience so just like i think all of those like support groups are like would be more than happy to have you mm. and more than happy for you to reach out and you should because like you'll realize that like you're not alone and you're not like some weird sexual deviant that like you know has to be banished or something Mm. you probably like it just makes everything so much easier to accept sort of who you are and be comfortable and like i don't know you might go through this journey where you find out that you're not gay or you're not bi and you are perfectly straight or whatever it may be and that's fine because like those groups are there to support you too yes i love that thanks tim mm. that was brilliant um well, <laughs> <of> it myself <laughs> um thank you so much for being on the show and um sharing your story and yeah you're a pleasure to talk to Well, thank you very much for having me. Absolute pleasure. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you liked that episode. As I said, I think Tim was just such a star at being open and honest about those those experiences. Um, And, I mean, it's really hard, I guess. I mean, I kind of want to make this point um, that I've been thinking about a lot, and that is, Obviously, when it comes to men's health, um, especially their mental health, it's something that we're working on. It's something that we're we're still trying to improve. Um, And I think for the most part, when it comes to talking about mental illness, we are getting much better as a society at breaking down that stigma. And we really should be focusing on, you know, how can we improve access and funding and, you know, instigate better policy. But when it comes to men talking about their mental health, there is just still such a roadblock. It's it's definitely there. Um, and we really need to do better uh, at, at discussing it. But at the same time, men, if you are out there advocating for men's mental health, remember to always advocate, to also advocate for others. Um, you know, women, people in the queer community, people of colour... You have to be part of their fight and our fight as much as we are a part of yours. So I think that's something I always think about and that you can't, when it comes to advocating for for better access to mental health services or for breaking down stigma, although yes, we have to look at it separately um, in certain circumstances, it's very important that we support all of that all of society is supported in the same way uh and that's a little spiel from me it's just something i've been thinking about uh anyway i will leave you with the regular spiel and that is if you would like to get in touch with me you can reach me at if you don't mind podcast at gmail.com i'm actually looking for people to interview for the second half of season two so please shoot me a message or a dm on instagram if that's more your style, like I really would like to hear from you. If you're like, oh, no one would want to hear me talk. Bullshit. Yes, I do. I want to hear you. Um, you can find me on, you can find the podcast on Facebook. Just type in if you don't mind. If you don't mind podcast is Instagram. Um, please rate and review the podcast wherever you can. 
it's really great when I get these amazing reviews. It just makes my heart glow and it makes me feel like, yes, this thing I'm doing is like worth it. Um, and as usual, you can also become a patron. So if you go to, so if you go to patreon.com, I believe you can type in, if you don't mind and find the pod there, you can give as little as $2 a month. Um, also we're having a short break. Uh, the pod will not be, there won't be another episode. Oh shit. When is the next episode? Helps if I look at the calendar. 27th of July. (laughs) I think when it's going out. Yeah, I think the next episode will be coming out this... Basically, just like there's no episode for for, for next for the following week. There's just a break. Guys, we'll work it out. It's fine. My brain is just fried from menstrual cramps, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, anyway, I think that's it for today. So as I always say, please be kind to yourself whenever possible. Be kind to one another whenever possible and... Again, I say this every time, but I still mean it. Listen to someone else's story because that's how you learn. It's how you grow. It's how you become a better person. Um, Look after yourselves. Bye, guys.